where we started the introduction last week, and one of the things we talked about was the title, Revelation, that it's the revealing of, uh, it's like a, um, like a tarp is put over something that's like the pulling off of that tarp, but that it's not necessarily the pulling off and revealing of something new. Uh, John says that it's something that's been talked about, uh, that he testified to in his gospel, in other words, when he talked about Jesus and gave us Jesus' words, and really throughout the whole Bible. So it's things that we should be able to know or do know or do agree with, but there's been something that's obscuring it, and what God wants to do is to take that off because uh, there's value or something that God wants to see happen that's a value to us that, that's being prevented by these aspects of Jesus being obscured. And so he wants to take that away so that we can have uh, what he wants to give us uh, through Jesus. And so he writes these, uh, after the introduction, there's these, he mentions the seven churches in the area where John was overseeing, and he writes seven messages, different messages to each one of those churches that he mentioned or those areas. And uh, I... You know, we're not going to have the time. I think there's, you know, quite a few chapters, 22 chapters of Revelation. I just, I don't know, just maybe just me personally. I'm not up for like spending the next two years going through it. So, <laughs> even though we probably could, but, uh, and maybe someday we will. Anyways, I'm, we're just going to kind of go through it like we have some other books, not quite as detailed as First John where we just went through every verse. And so I just was going to pick one of the churches. And I picked this church because the message to the other churches had a lot to do with dealing with the two heresies that were going on in that region. And we talked quite a bit about those two heresies in First John. So I feel like some of, not to say that there's not something new or good to go into that, it would sort of reinforce it. But if we've got to skip through, we've had some talking or had some insight on some of those other things. And this one deals with something just a little bit different. But then the, the second reason why I thought it would be good to look at this is it says, uh, the angel of the church in Laodicea. And uh, the area of Laodicea uh, probably fits best with the area where we live in. It had a, a very prominent bank there, which... I mean, it, ha- it was a, a financial hub uh, of the area. It had a, a ton of commerce coming through it. It had a lot of innovation in trades, professions. It was sort of a professional city that had, you know, finance going through it. And, and maybe you could point to it's not maybe an exact, ma- but in as much as something, you know, that we're going to connect to 2,000 years ago in Greek culture or a city there. There's a lot of commonalities. And so I, I think that it's a good one for us to look at to see living in the Bay Area by taking a look at some of the things that he talks about here to this church in this area of Greek, which culturally might be similar. What are some things that might be just sort of naturally obscured about Jesus in our area that we sort of struggle with day to day that we really end up not really making all that clear. (laughs) As he says about the church here, our witness about Jesus just sort of becomes lukewarm 
which is no witness at all, he says. And he's basically saying, at this point, he hasn't... And again, he's talking about, it says here, the church, it's not people, so I want to be careful. It's not like he's saying there's no reason for the people to exist. He's just saying, it's coming to the place where I really don't know if there's a real reason why this church needs to be here. And Maybe the area would be better off without a church, because what the church is putting out is really just nothing about me, because it's watered down, you might say, or lukewarm. And so at each one of the words to the different areas, he highlights some titles or some things about Jesus. And if you put that all together, what you would look at is say, well, these are probably things he's highlighting about Jesus that need to be revealed. And there are things that we know about Jesus from the Bible, but in particular in an area like what we're in, that these are some types of things which just maybe traditionally, I don't know, whatever it's like, would tend to be the types of things that would get obscured. But if we could unobscure them, that there would be a real blessing of God that would be there. And that's a big purpose of us as a church in an area like this, is to help make it so that these things about Jesus are clear. And so uh, the, the things that he says are easy to pass over, I'll try and give some examples that, you know, I'm trying to pick some things that maybe, I don't know, roughly might pertain to our area, and maybe that's a little bit comical for me to attempt that. So you just have to bear with me on it. But the first thing is he says, the amen. Uh, As you notice, if you've been in a religious context or watched someone in a church-type context... Uh, oftentimes, if you hear a prayer, uh, it's a very traditional thing to end the prayer with amen. And, and that's basically what's being said here. Yeah, the word uh, is throughout the, the Bible, and I, I think it, I should have looked this up, but I think it may even be a transliter or just sort of a pronunciation in Greek of a Hebrew word. Um, but but the, it's, it's a word that is sometimes put at the end of something, but it's also sometimes put at the beginning of something. And so, like, for instance, uh, when the word is used in the gospel, as John says, and we see it, it's often translated not a man, but truly, which is sort of the definition of it. So it'll say, like, Jesus is actually using the same word. He says, amen and amen, I say to you. But, but it's, that's just a confusing way linguistically to say it. So what we'll just do is just say the meaning. And so a lot of translations will just say, truly, truly, I say to you. John will put them in these doubles. But the other gospels just say, truly, I say to you. And it's hard to understand what's happening there, but in the... Hebrew Bible of the Old Testament, when a prophet would speak something, either at the beginning or at the end, the prophet would either say at the end, like, thus says the Lord, or sometimes at the beginning it would say, thus says the Lord. The prophet would never say, I say this. And so the point is, is Jesus was saying something by breaking with that, by, by uh, he was connecting to it by doing that. But he was also saying something different about himself. He's saying, in the same way that people would say, thus says God, I am saying to you this. 
So he's, it's one of the places where if you look at those things, it's, you can see that Jesus is making that implication that I am God, and the people in that culture saw that implication, and that's one of the things that got them so charged up that this guy is making himself out to be equal to God. But, but whatever the case is with all that, the point is, is that it's, he's saying, here's what's lost about Jesus, is that when you do that, it's an appeal to saying, here's what's being said, and the power of God is there to make it true. Does that make sense? So uh, how, how does that mix up in, in our culture? Okay, bear with me on these examples. These are going to be loosely connected. I, I sometimes, like, either you'll see this happen, particularly, like, with, like, Elon Musk. I, I'm going to create, like, a new internet and put, and I don't know that he calls it that, and whatever the reasons, but... I'm going to launch all these satellites up. There's going to be tens of thousands of satellites, and he has this huge plan. When he first said that kind of stuff, uh, he didn't even have any way of getting the things up there. But some people took faith in what he had to say and invested in something like SpaceX because of they felt the power that he had to make it happen. And it was really something that just like, Look, this is Elon Musk. I'm just sort of investing or I'm just banking on this or I'm looking forward to this. And it's based on not something that I've seen happen, but just I think this guy might have the will, the the power, whatever it is that you want to attribute to a person. But it's going to happen because he's going to make it happen type thing. Does that make sense? And then, okay, at first you look at that and you just think, well, that's not really... You know, I don't really know that that can happen. But then as you see him build this company and he starts launching things and there's a satellite and it's starting to like move forward, then you grow and you start having more faith. You know, I think he's making this happen, right? And then if something happens where they're like, well, we're going to take him out of the picture. You know, he's been Twittering something or this or that. He shouldn't. And so we're going to, then like stock comes down. Why? Because they're, they're thinking, well, if he's not involved in this, how is this going to happen <laughs> type thing? So that's a normal course of things that happens in our area is we have people that we see making things happen. And we think about it and we see it and we say, well, you know, there's some aspect of, you know, that people are really going out and we can actually make some stuff happen. And then there's Jesus. I think Jesus can make some stuff happen. And you can see how when you talk about one and then talk about the other, it gets sort of mixed all together. <laughs> and you really end up not saying anything at all about Jesus. Like, uh, uh, um, uh, what would be good? Uh, I don't know. I hope I'm getting the same. Jeff Bezos, right? He goes to some sort of leadership conference, and he's paid, I'm assuming, to go there. And the reason why students are coming or whatever, it's uh, something on like leadership or something like that. They, They want to hear what he has done to make this happen. You know, what's the keys to this happening? And I think he started off the whole thing. He says, well, the biggest factor is that I won a lot of lottos. And what was he saying by that? He's saying things like, 
You know, like Warren Buffett has made this kind of statement that the, the biggest key to success is the luck of the womb that you were born from <laughs> type thing. You're saying, you know, my, I mean, my parents invested in this idea like $250,000. Not many parents could do that or would do that. But if they hadn't have done that, none of this, would, I wouldn't even be here. And he just said there's a series of those types of things that he says are just completely random luck, you might say. Well, if you're a believer, you wouldn't say luck. I mean, what he's pointing to is like there's some sort of weird gift that I've been given numerous times that's enabled it to happen. But I don't want to call it a gift because that would imply that there's some sort of thought or person or entity behind it, so I'm just going to say it's luck. But if you're a believer, what would you say? You would say, well, there's these moments when God just gives me something, and that enables this to work out. And so a lot of times in our area, we will talk about those different things. But what we'll oftentimes do, and what the rest of the conference was on, is he maybe spent like a few minutes on that, and then the whole rest of the two hours was then talking about his leadership style, his management style, different things. And it's kind of like we have this idea that like, well, the right things that I do enable it so that when that lottery hits, I'm able to capitalize on it. (laughs) And so it's this mix. And that's what we do sort of in the churches. We see there's these different things, that there's the power of different people, and we have a power to make something happen. But then we also recognize these gifts, and we point it out, this is a gift from God (laughs) that he's given. But in mixing the whole thing, and because we spend the rest of the two hours talking about our leadership style or the right financials or the right things that we've done with this, it just what we've said about the gift just sort of becomes nothing, (laughs) It doesn't say anything to anybody. But we feel like we've been a witness. And so that's the type of thing that he's saying, is when you have an area where they're talking a lot about these things, what you have to say about the gift actually isn't going to be that different than what they're saying. We're just calling it out as being God. But the concept behind it is the same. But then we fall into the trap of really just sort of highlighting some other things that sort of just detracts and makes what we said about the gift just sort of like, well, whatever. That's not why we hired you to come here and talk to us about this. You know, you set the the framework within that context, but we're really only listening to this. And and so that's why sometimes in in, uh, a church like us, we you know, tend to do that type of thing, it it just sort of results in zero impact because even though we feel like we're being uh, truthful, and we are in pointing out these things about the gifts of God, because we also feel an obligation to talk about all these other things, it it just becomes obscured. Okay, sorry, I probably went into that more than I needed to. The next thing he says... Uh, the faithful and true witness. Uh, witness is um, like, you know, I saw this person, you know, commit this crime or something like that. And then it's trusted and true is after that. And the idea is, is like, look, if you have someone who's like, a, let's say, a 10-time felon and they're in prison and they're actually going to get their sentence commuted if they, if they saw this, there's sometimes a chance that they might say, I saw this, and they didn't actually, you know, you have some sort of... So it's, it's not just saying, I saw this, or this is what I see to be the case. It's that there's a character almost behind it that, that there's cause to believe that it's trusted and true, which is different than, like, 
and Elon Musk. So like you might say uh, something like, okay, forgive these examples, uh, and, and I don't even know if this is something that Warren Buffett would say, or it may not even fit in reality. It's just a fictional thing I'm throwing out there. Warren Buffett says in order to have happiness or security in life, you need to have a diversified portfolio. (laughs) Okay, I don't know if that's true, so just bear with me. You don't think, you don't follow that or have hope in it because you think that Warren Buffett has the power (laughs) to make that true. (laughs) It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with, you kind of have this feeling that this guy's been looking at these things for a long time, and he's kind of figured out that this and this happens, and over the course of experience, and because of who he is and what we know, think we know about him, we've come to believe that like what he's saying about the financial world and the way we should invest or something like that is sort of trusted and true <laughs> advice. And so we'll follow it based on its connection, the, per- the connection we think this person has to their experience in seeing how this, you, you see how that works. Um, and that's why we do things like, I remember uh, uh, one time I was talking, this was a while ago, uh, I was talking to my father-in-law uh, because this was like, I don't know, probably like 10 years ago. Uh, so he eats like eggs, almost every morning. And I remember telling him, well, you got to quit eating the eggs with this joke. You know, and I didn't use the word science says because I was smart enough to just not go there with him. But I mean, that's basically what I said to him. You know, science says that the yolk, you know, increases your cholesterol. And I know you've got to worry about your cholesterol. So you really should like start just eating like some egg white omelets. And, and he just sort of looked at me and not really condescendingly, but very like patiently, you know, in a sense communicated, I've been eating my eggs for like a hundred years or something like that. And then I felt very self-righteous and justified in him not following my advice and me out of love and care for him, telling him what I know is scientifically true and accurate until there started coming out some like news reports where they said, well, actually, we never really did a study on it. We just, you know, the word cholesterol, and then we just sort of inferred it'd be cholesterol. But there's actually no correlation between the two. But that's the type of thing in our soul is we'll throw a word out there, like, you know, saying this is scientific or something like that. And whether it is or isn't, what we're appealing to is that there's some sort of connection to the way someone, something reliable and trustworthy that's looking at things and making a statement that's true about it. And what he's saying about Jesus is the things that Jesus is saying are meant to be things that we see whether or not it's true or not. And so, what, what he's getting at here is something that we've talked about for a couple of weeks. But it's like, look, if we say, oh gosh, what would be another good example? I, I, so I saw this funny YouTube thing that has nothing to do with our area except that it's YouTube. So I guess that does. Uh, but it was this guy that was trying to say like a famous saying but kind of messed it up. But anyways, what he was trying to say is like you feed someone a fish and you feed them for a day. 
but then if you teach them how to fish, then they have food for the rest of their life type thing. Now, what is that statement when you break it down? It's exactly what everyone else was saying, that like, okay, if you give them a fish, then you have a fish. It's a gift. There's a part of life that's about a gift. But you can't rely on getting that gift over and over again. You can give it a gift, but what would be better is to show them how to live so that they don't have to rely on gifts. Now, what the Bible says is, Jesus says, look, you know, give us each day our daily bread. (laughs) He's saying, it is a gift. I am just giving you a fish, but I'm going to give it to you tomorrow. And that's like the whole thing of like, Israel going through, and they got very frustrated about that, and sometimes they got so frustrated that they even said, forget this, let's just go back to Egypt where we were completely oppressed, genocidal, being killed off, but at least we had the system in place where we had these big pots of meat, and we knew when it was going to come from, and we weren't having to rely on each day this bread falling down from heaven. You get that? And so, we do that in the church all the time, is we will say, like, here's this fish, and we're going to give it to you. But, but then in our righteousness to try and cause something to happen, we will also lump in, but let me tell you how you can make this happen without God even being involved, is basically what we're saying. You know, you need God to give you a fish. I'm giving you a fish. God loves you. He cares for you. He's given me this fish to give to you. And this communicates the love of God to you. That'll sort of be in there. But then our big thrust and everything will push on it. But let me show you how to fish. Because if you can figure out how to manage your money correctly, if you can figure out how to like show up to work on time or how to be disciplined or how to be this or how to be that, uh, and then out of the love of God, this also is love that I'm giving for you because this is love that's telling you how to live a life where you have no need, which is what he's getting to here in a minute. He says there's some confusion that pops up when we start looking around at what it is that we see the blessings come from. Uh, Sorry, I'll go through these faster. It says the beginning of creation of God. He's just saying that Jesus is the originating cause for every good thing. Creation was judged by God as this is good. So he's saying everything that is good is originating with Jesus. And the reason why it's not just saying with God, but particularly the part of the Godhead, Jesus, is because of the mission of Jesus in saving us when we've messed up. In other words, it's not just everything good is originating from God who may leave open that it's because we're good people and he's therefore given it to us. No, it's saying specifically with the need of Jesus that we're not, but God's giving it to us anyways because of Jesus. That that's sort of the originating cause of everything. Um, Let me move on. He says, I know your work that you are neither hot, cold, nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. What he's just basically saying is, look, this is meant for it to be a, you know, we think of the church as supposed to be a witness. 
a witness is something that is supposed to match with something that we experience or that we see. And when we are saying things on the one hand of, look, here's a gift from God in this fish that, that says a statement about something, but then we also say, I also have my fish, not just because it's a gift to God, but because I know how to fish type thing. And that, that example is like used throughout the, the Gospels in terms of the the disciples being fisher people and them like saying, look, we fished all night. We're the ones who know how to fish. You're like a carpenter. It's a different trade. And Jesus will just do it. Throw it to, and then they have a catch so big. The originating cause, he's saying, is Jesus. And, and so what happens is, is when we say, look, you know, things are going well because I'm just blessed or, you know, God's giving me or this and this. But then let me tell you some stuff about how you can do things. When we start mixing it all in like that, it, it creates this environment where, look, you're trying to see if A is true or B is true, right? If you take A and B and mix them together, then when it happens, it enables someone to look at it and say, well, that's because B is true, even though B isn't true, <laughs> right? It gives you the power of just being able to say, you know, well, look, you know, all this happened, God be the glory. But like people look at that and it's like, well, I don't know, I think that person's just, that's the A part that's false <laughs> because we've mixed them, you see what I'm saying kind of? In order to really see whether things are originating with Jesus, you really have to make a break so that it's just sitting there by itself so that people can look at it and see, I don't know, is this true or not? Or, he says, it would be better, rather than mixing it all together, just go the other way and just don't even be at church, don't even go to church, don't even talk about Jesus, don't even talk about me, and just whatever it is you want to say in the other two hours about you learning how to fish, just do that and see where that gets you, and see if that's true. Because we need to figure out one is true, and mixing these two ideas of how good comes about in our life, and the tension between the two, and Churches in our area tend to find, feel like we're experts in showing how these things meld together. He's saying, so because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm just going to spit you out of my mouth. <laughs> he just says, I just completely repudiate that. I, I don't even want you mentioning my name. <laughs> Please feel free to just talk about how to become a good fisher person and all that. Just do that. But don't put my name, don't associate me with that. I just completely reject any association to anything that you're putting out on this aspect as being loving and caring and coming from me. You just have at it, but don't put my church, just, I don't want to even be associated with what he's basically saying with that. And then he gives the reasons why. Sorry, I'll start moving through these things faster. He says, because you say, the language is, is kind of funny. It's like capital. It says, because you say, rich I am, rich I became, I have not one problem. And many times people look at this and see it as sort of a God saying like, well, you just need to, you know, rich people are the most horrible people in the world. And we just need to do away with all the rich people. And no one needs to be rich anymore. And, and well, I mean, that, that's kind of, no matter. I, I remember teaching uh, PE at some, some 
Uh, this isn't a very good example, but teaching at like elementary school level, and they, they wanted you to make sure that you were doing games where you didn't keep score. Uh, everyone, the kids kept score. <laughs> I mean, uh, what, what he's saying here is whatever you have, the rich, if you just take away the word rich, he's just saying, I have lots of the gift that God's given me. Because it's not just rich. He's talking about being able to say this is a gift from God. So he's saying, he's not saying that in order to value the gift that God gives, we need to as quickly as we can throw the gift away or use the gift maybe would be another one. But that's not even the point. Whatever you might say about the gift and our stewarding of that gift or using the gift. What he is talking about here is he says, And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. In other words, he's not saying that he doesn't ever give us an abundance of something. And he's not even talking about how to use it. He's talking specifically about the conclusions that we make based on the gifts that God gives us. That's what he's getting at. And the conclusion that we make... It is, for whatever reason, we start coming to a place where we kind of think, I don't really, I mean, I don't really have a need, per se. I mean, I have some things that like, you know, I mean, I kind of like to have pizza tonight, and I probably will go buy some pizza, but I mean, I may not, I might eat some, you know, something like that. That's not, it's not really a need, per se. Everything in our life starts, it starts getting harder and harder for us to ever sort of say, you know, and it comes up like in the church because it's like, well, uh, no one here has any needs, but I have like an uncle's nephew's brother who I think might have cancer. Can we pray about that poor, wretched, blind, and poor, and naked person because that's not me (laughs) type thing, right? He says, there's something about these extrapolations or these conclusions that we're making based on what we know is a gift that reflects on us in some way that we think that who we might have been at one point when we first became a Christian was, you know, maybe akin to the phrase wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked, needy. But now in the grace of God, he's brought me to a new place where I'm kind of, I just don't have, I I just don't have, you know, I don't have needs like the common people type thing. And that's what he's mad about. Because he says, you're ignoring the fact that in spite of whatever it is that I've given you, in spite of whatever, and it's not just, it's very clear that he's not just talking about monetary things. The riches are are not just monetary, that's one way of looking at it, but just the riches of whatever it is that's been given to us in our life. We think that by the nature of it being given, that that now brings us into a place where we're now elevated above other people. And and so our, our outreach or our witness now is to be able to implore our elevated status onto other people. So that we're able to say, look, If you can become a fisher person like me, if you can learn how to do this and you can do that, if I can, if you will listen to me and be remade in my image, then you will have the power 
to be able to have joy. And, and let, that's basically what we're saying. <laughs> and then he gives the solution. He says, he doesn't even say, look, you just need to start seeing yourself as like wretched, miserable, poor, blind, or even just like put a tag phrase on. He's saying, this needs to be the natural conclusion that you would come to if you took a serious look at your life and made an evaluative analysis of it, you would come to this conclusion. He's not saying just take it by faith. If we need to take it by faith, then that's a good thing. Just take it by faith. (laughs) But he's saying the faith should be backed up by, you're only going to be able to take it by faith to a certain extent. You're going to really need to come. And so how is that we're going to come to this understanding that when we have been blessed by so much that that does not mean that there is some sort of difference between us and someone else that we perceive that isn't even true, but we perceive them as being less blessed. And he'll get to what a real blessing is, and it has nothing to do with with money. He'll get to that in a minute. But here's what he advises them. He says, I advise you, he says three things. But all three things are phrased under the buy from me line. And what the word is, is like, uh, it's actually just a word for marketplace, but the or something like that. And and the implied thing is, is like, you, you know, in our area, in the, when you look at the information that we have at our disposal and we look and we see different people accomplishing very powerful things, doing different things, we see market trends or we see other things that, that seem to be like this person is, is trying to, and we, we just see all these different things. He's saying we buy into that. And he's saying, buy into me, try that. You know, instead of just buying into everything, just try buying into me. And he puts these three things that he says to buy into concerning him. And the first is uh, gold that's refined by fire. And that's, uh, he's going to go into that more. But what it is in a synopsis is, look, when you, you know, everybody knows, like, whoever's, I don't know, it keeps rotating. But And I love saying Bill Gates just because the kid's, they built this treehouse one time and they called it the Bill Gates when we moved up to Seattle. So I just have that in my mind. It's like, we live in the Bill Gates. <laughs> Anyways, okay, that's a funny, stu- stupid thing. Um, he knows when he dies, not an ounce of the cash is going into heaven or wherever it is, it happens. It, when death it ends, it's gone. That's what the fire is thought of. What are the things in life that we think of in this speck of time that are so valuable, but if we look at the bigger picture of things, the value of it is zero. (laughs) That's what he says. He says, I want you to start taking a bigger picture of things. (laughs) Look at things in terms of eternity to evaluate what it is that's of value. Because if you just look at a moment in time that's, that's small, that's here, you're not going to get an accurate picture of what's valuable. Okay, I'm going to disperse with the Bay Area and just stick to personal here. When I eat sugar, particularly like Hostess cupcake snacks, like a whole box of them, 
the chocolate ones with the little twirly thing on the front and that, and, and I, I drink it with milk because milk is so healthy. <laughs> I know for a fact, and there's anyone in this room that's going to convince me otherwise, because I have like 50 some odd years of seeing the truth of this statement, it relaxes me. Stress for the day starts to fall off. My bad attitude, my anger, all the sins of my youth and my life fall off and I become the most happy, amicable, loving father. I will go out and I I won't share my hostess cupcake snacks with my kids, but I will go out at like 11 o'clock and get them some ice cream or something like that because I'm just so good. It brings out the best of me and I know that to be true. But if I look at the long terms of things, I also, I would see something a little bit different. (laughs) I would see that like it's creating this habit that's like, you know, it's, I don't know how to say it, but it's like the next day I'm not just like short on energy, you know, it's like, and then I just sort of get more depressed faster or something. It's like in the long run, it's like, you know, like if I'm a meth addict at the moment when I'm taking meth, it's great, empirically true. at that moment. But over the course of your life, not so great. <laughs> okay? And so I don't want to have to argue about those things, but that, that's sort of like what he's saying is like, of course, if we're looking at some small span of time, of course there's going to be a million things that seem empirically true within this small context, and everything's going to be obscured. Like, I don't know, I think, you know, the hostess cupcake stacks are pretty good for me. But he says, broaden out and start to look at things. And he says, you can't just look at this life. Look at the life to come. What is it that's important for all of eternity? And how is this connected to that? He says, uh, garments, uh, clean garments is what he's getting at. And he's saying, look, you're buying into what the, everyone says around you is, you know, clean eating or, you know, clean way of buying something or investing or this or just like, you know, just sort of what's right. Maybe even it's not even that. He says, buy into what I say makes you clean. And in all of eternity, what is it that's going to bring us into eternity? The promise is uh, Repentance. Understanding that that we are needy and we do need help and that God's gift is giving us help. He says, buy into that and and see where that takes you. Then he says, I salve to anoint your eyes so that they may see. You know, we, we feel so confident, you know, as I'll go back to the thing about eggs, that that yolks are bad. He says, whatever they are or aren't, I mean, how's that? He's like, that doesn't really relate to eternity. Maybe, best case scenario, it adds on a few more years, you know. But then we find some remote place that all they do is eat eggs and they live to be 100 years old and they don't have any money. And so then we think, well, maybe, you know. He says, hear what I have to say and see if this is true or not. 
And then he gives the real point. He says, and this is probably where I should have just started. He said, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. He's saying, look, this, I'm not asking you to have a poor image of yourself so that I can lord over you, <laughs> which is what we do a lot of times. We try and reinforce a poor image that someone has of themselves because we want to lord over them and say, I'm trying to recreate you in my image, and part of me creating you in my image is me confirming that there's these bad things about you that have been plaguing you your whole life. He's not doing that. (laughs) He's saying is that the reason why these things are important, it's not even for the sake of truth or this. It's all important to see that it's true because what carries with this gift isn't that I'm just giving this gift for... I'm giving it because I love you and I care about you. And what's being missed about this isn't something theological or isn't, you know, I'm this right person or this wrong person. What's being missed or being left out and the reason why this is so important is because... It's so life-changing to be able to see clearly how much God loves us and cares about us and the extent to which he's not going to let that love be broken down. That even if we mess up in horrible ways, he is, has come to make it possible for his love to be justified so that he'll never have, there's never a reason for him to pull away He gives this phrase, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and, and he with me. Let, let me just read quickly. We left this out last week, but I want to start, even though I know I'm wasting too much time, just connecting some of the things that this connects to in the Old Testament. In Song of Solomon's, people have noted that that what's being connected here is to this. And this isn't something I came up with, but but it seems applicable when I read it. It says, I was asleep, but my heart was awake. A voice, my beloved, was knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is drenched with dew, my locks with the damp of the night. Then we respond, say, I have taken off my dress. How can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. How can I dirty them again? My beloved extends his hand through the opening. And my feelings are aroused for him. And I rose and opened the door to my beloved with my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh. Uh, on the handles of the bolt, and, and I open to my beloved, but my beloved has turned away and has gone. My heart went out to him as he spoke, and I searched for him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer me. Though The watchman who makes the rounds of the city found me, and they struck me and wounded me. The guardsmen of the walls took away my shaw from me. 
the the next part helps make sense of it. He says, he who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on the throne. I also overcame and sat down with my father on the throne. What he's saying at is that we just keep hesitating with silly things like, well, I've already gotten in bed. I mean, I can't really, you know, go now. I mean, I've already like prepared myself for something else. And now it's like he's changing course or something. He's saying this is a moment to have a wonderful embrace. And he's saying that's what's important, (laughs) having that. Even in our own life, having it with each other. That's what's important. And you could be the richest man in the world, and that doesn't mean that you're going to have this with the person that you've been married to for 25, 30 years or something like that. It doesn't make a dime's worth of difference in terms of that. In terms of what's really valuable here that's made clear in eternity, but because it's made clear in eternity, it's saying it is what's of important, and this is what's getting clouded here with all this other talk about everything else that has nothing whatsoever to do with that, is that we're just missing out by talking about all this other stupid stuff on these moments to have this embrace of love, and that's what's really lacking in our life. And I'll tell you, in our area... That's the biggest need that our area has is the inability to grab that. And a lot of it is putting it off till you can't find it or something. And I'm not talking about marriage or anything like that. I'm just talking about amongst each other. That there, we have these other things that we feel are so important. But this is what's important. It could be Spending some time with your friends, spending some time with your family. It could, that's what the, if you say there's something important about the church in terms of that, that's what it is. But he's saying that's there from God. And here's why it's, God opens it up in a new way. What he writes here was about Israel. And when he came, I'm going to end this quickly. When he came to Israel, Jesus, he did nothing but shower love on them over and over and over again. He literally would give them food and feed them. And he'd say to them, look, you're only coming because I gave you this food. He says, I want to have this loving embrace, but all you're talking about is how you're going to get some free food. You know, trying to just sort of work all the angles what he's saying, and, and then in the end, he did all these things for them, and, and they took it as him, you know, threatening them, and, and they took it as a threat, his love to them, and, and killed him. And he says he endured all that, he overcame all that, and he's saying we have to overcome that too. Here's what he's getting at. If we want to have that loving embrace, and this is why it's The hope in Jesus is so important. If we want to have that love embrace here in this life, absolutely is going to be the case, and you should be able to see this beyond a shadow of a doubt, that love is going to go out, but it's not always going to be seen as love. And oftentimes, whether it's seen as love or not, what comes back to us is nothing but hurt and pain. 
It's impossible for us in this life, the people that in this that we're supposed to be guarding, did the abuse. When Jesus came, he just threw the love out there and waited for that return. And it only returned from a few people. And he says the people that it did get returned from were the people that God had given. In other words, he says that that God has given me a relationship with some people where there's some attempt for it to be returned. But of those that attempt, one betrayed him with a kiss, the other denied him three times, that there's all sorts of things that happen. Here's what he's saying with this. You have it with God. He says, I'm never going to return, never going to return anything but love to us. But part of the reason why we don't see it is because of what we see in our interactions with other people. And and like, um, when I try, if Karen, when I try and eat a hostess cupcake at night now, Karen will just throw a huge fit. In fact, even when it's bought from the store or like she sees me glancing in that direction, I get like nothing but pain and grief (laughs) from that. And in a sense, I know that she loves me and there's this and that. But there's this part of me that says she's overreacting and she's like lording over me with this stuff. And, uh, you know, she's got other reasons. You know, she's trying to like you know, make herself out to be the superior person and that she doesn't recognize, you know, how I've changed. I haven't had a hostess cupcake snack in six months or something like that. This is just a one time, you know, there's all these other, you, you see what I'm saying there. And so what I return to her because of the way I've figured out the truth of everything is not love. But in order for her and I to have love, she has to bear with that and just wait. And it's not just her, I bear with things too. And that's the way it's going to be. How are we going to hit? It's not just talking about the persecution that was about to hit the church there, but it's talking about this interaction of love that's seen in that. How is it that we can have that interaction when it's impossible for us to respond in the way that it needs to be? And since it's impossible for us to do that, What hope do we have in waiting unless we think, well, the hope in waiting would be that at some point we would fix the situation. So I'm just telling you, it's been like 55 years now, the whole cupcake scenario, that's probably going to follow me into my grave. The whole like back and forth on that. And there's a million little issues like that. There is no hope that we're going to escape that sense of overcoming by rising above the situation. It's going to be there in some. So how can we have a hope in this lasting, in the long run? See, it's those things that that force us, we think, to just think about the here and now. But he says, no, look at how can we have it in long? The only hope is found in Jesus that even though he loved us and cared for us and poured nothing but love out and we returned that love by killing him, God raised him from the dead so that he's alive and still loving us and still waiting. <laughs> but we're so preoccupied with, why well, I don't want to get my, I just took my shoes off. 
Do you know how hard it is for me, a person my size, to like bend down and untie the shoes? I wear slip-ons, but I, I, the shoes that I have are tie-ons now. They're kind of longer. It's just, this is like a request that just goes beyond normal, like asking of someone. Like that's just stupid stuff. He's encouraging them to grab a hold of. He says, look, if you can just see these things, that I'm the one who's working things out, that, that I'm the one who's laying out to you what the truth of the situation, that, that, that I'm the one who, who's making things work when they work, if you can see that, the reason why I want you to see that is because that's your only hope for eternity. That's our only hope for God. And that's our only hope to have some sort of relationship that's described in this thing where we're living in that moment of loving and being loved. And that's what we're, the witness is about. That's what we're hoping to spread is that it won't just be at the church, but it'll be like at our work. And I guarantee you, if you try and like show some love to your boss, he's going to think, is this person just trying to manipulate me to get a promotion, to get something? Is this fake? Is this person, I, I, I don't really think this person actually loves me. I think they just love the opportunity that I represent. That is going to be the case. And sometimes it's not even going to be that. The person's just going to be, I don't really care because I just want to mess with you. <laughs> but whatever the case is, you're going to endure something. But he's saying, don't worry. <laughs> I've got it covered, and I guarantee you I'm going to bring you to a place in eternity where this will be the case, and you will have relationships with people where it is just this exchange of love that is vacant of any hurt or harm going back and forth, and that's not right now. I will give it to you in heaven, but the hope that you have in heaven, you could, should be able to see that hope being acted out in the way that I'm doing it here on earth even though in every relationship there's things that we need to overcome. And, and that is not, the, the fact that there's things that need to be overcome, that is not an indication of God not working in the situation. You know, the fact that I get an argument with Karen over a hostess cover is not an indication that like it's hopeless and that's not true. It's an indication that the continuedness of that, me being poor, wretched, blind, in need, in that sense, it speaks to the fact that there's some miracle happening here between her and I that she's able to put up with that type stuff or that I'm willing to put up with her type thing. In other words, he's saying what speaks to the hope is not that we've risen out of but that we're still in it, but somehow it's working. <laughs> somehow there's this exchange of love that, that's there that, that, you know, it's not attributable to me having all the money in the world <laughs> type thing. And he says, this is what's important in life. This is what I want you to see happen. And, it, and you're not going to be able to have the hope to last it out. You're not going to be able to have the hope to be able to have this unless you see that for real what's being said about Jesus is true. And you can't tell if it's for real unless you just buy into it and see where it takes you. And mixing it up with everything else just ruins the opportunity. It's a pure moment. It's an opportunity. And he wants us to see because he loves us, because this is the gift that he has waiting for us. And if you were to look at it that way, 
it would be of pretty big importance. (laughs) And that's why he says, he who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Jesus, we, uh, we just ask for your forgiveness in the way that we cloud you, distract from your love, the gift that you have for us, and and forgive us, Lord, for the way that you and your love have to wait patiently and overcome all the ways that we push you and close the door on that. Lord, thank you for your patience, and, and I just pray that you would soften our hearts and move them to be able to see what's important. Just give us a a way of responding to you, of saying I love you too, and just completing that love by some sort of response. And Lord, we pray that you would make things work with the other people we're around, Uh, here in the church, in our neighborhoods, at work, in, in whatever it is we do, that the bond wouldn't be what we have in common. The bond wouldn't be that they've come to where we are. But the bond would be that you love us, you love them, you've put us together, and you will make it so that there's an exchange of love. We lift all these things up to you in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, We're going to sing this last song or two, and uh, there'll be people up here after the service and during the songs if you have any prayer requests.